0: Welcome to the Rethinking Scripture podcast. This is Greg Hall, and in this episode, we will be venturing into some very sacred ground. We'll be talking a little about one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth one, the one that talks about the day God ceased. But before we get to that, I just want to quickly mention two things. First, I'll be hitting the road in the middle of April as a part of my Rethinking Rest book tour. And in April, I'll find myself in the eastern portion of the United States, specifically the Chicago and Indianapolis areas. And I'll be meeting with different groups and talking about the topic of rest. If you are anywhere near those areas and would like to try and maybe add another stop to my trip, Just contact me using the contact tab at either RethinkingRest.com or RethinkingScripture.com. I'm really excited for the trip, and it's mostly because I'm really just looking forward to talking to people and not just this microphone here in my studio. So that's the first thing. My second announcement is that I'm recording this episode on February 25th my birthday. I am 378 in dog years and I'm getting really close to that discounted coffee time in life. And it just seems really weird to me to say that I'm 54 because that is so very close to 55. And I don't feel like 54 years old. Well, (laughs) let me think about that for a second. Actually, I do often feel like I'm 54. <laughs> and along those lines, to help us set up today's topic, yesterday, the day before my birthday, I had two conversations with people about my birthday. And I recorded parts of both of them to play for you during this episode. First, I called a longtime friend, Steve Maxwell. I've known Steve since college. We played basketball together, and when I was a DJ on the campus radio station, Steve would often be a guest on my show. Steve and Kim, they have two kids. Nathan is a student at the University of Washington, and their daughter, Brenna, plays basketball for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And just a side note about Brenna, heading into the postseason this year, she leads the nation in three-point field goal percentage. She literally makes half of everything she throws up from beyond the arc. So with that set up, let's listen in to my kind of awkward conversation that I had here with Steve yesterday.
1: Hey, Greg. How you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, too. Is this still a good time for you to have a short conversation? Sure, yeah. Do I have permission to record your voice?
1: (laughs) Yes, you have my permission.
0: (laughs) Very good. Hey, good game last night for Brenna, I guess, yeah? Yeah, very
1: good game. The team clinched at least a share of the conference championship.
0: She had one shot. She caught a pass in midair and shot it before she hit the ground. I mean, it was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, she. that's a quick release. She's done that two games in a row on that same play.
0: Yeah, so that's great. So in this upcoming podcast, I came up with this brilliant idea to go back into my past and ask a question of certain people. And okay. You, and you came to mind, because we have such a, a history with each other.
1: We do. We do have history. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'd love to be participate in your little experiment
0: yes this is reminiscent though of those times when i was on kccr at plu yeah yeah but i can't remember the name of your segment when you came on
1: you were the phantom right
0: yeah we, me
1: and brian were quiche watch
0: quiche watch that's right and remind me what you did because i don't have any copies of the brilliant No copy
1: of this i'm sure we thought we were hilarious um <laughs> That was just so stupid. I think we just talked about old jokes and yeah. made fun of things in the news and, and laughed at each other. We always would say we'd like to thank the listener, singular.
0: <laughs> that's good. That's about where I'm at with the podcast, too, so that's good.
1: <laughs> Looking forward to catching up on some of these podcasts that are post-book launch about that have you know themes of rest.
0: Yep, and that's what this one has to do with as well. So are you ready for your question? I am ready. So my question for you today, Steve, is, uh, do you plan on remembering my birthday this year?
1: I can't say I plan on it, Greg. <laughs> Since I've, I've never remembered it in the past, uh, I don't know how I could plan for something I don't know. Okay. Unless today is your birthday, in that which case, happy birthday, Greg.
0: Well, it's not today. I mean, we're recording this on the 24th of February.
1: I plan to wish you a happy birthday right now. Okay. That is for your coming celebration of your birth. Happy birthday.
0: Yeah. Very interesting the way you said that too. Uh, the celebration of my birth. Because I wasn't talking about the celebration of my birth uh, when I asked if you were going to remember it. I was, I was specifically asking, and it may not have been too clear, if you were going to be remembering the day of my birth. My birthday.
1: I don't know if I even understand your question any clearer. <laughs>
0: well, that's perfect. Yeah, in fact, All right. In fact, in in that sense, there's really no way that you can remember my birthday because you weren't there.
1: Yeah, I was. That's a good point. I mean, very I w- few people for your birthday, just your immediate parents and family. I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I guess my mom is really the only one left.
1: However, if somebody had a videotape of the event of your birth, the oh. day of your birth. Yeah. Then I could watch that videotape and through that mode, remember your birthday.
0: Oh, you could. Yeah, I guess so. Because I was there. I mean, just by default, I had to have been there.
1: You remember your birthday?
0: I don't remember anything.
1: Is that why you asked the question? So you can understand what it was like on your birthday?
0: No, this is just a, this whole conversation is just a setup for something, <laughs> something else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I look forward to, Coming off as of, uh, very intelligent and informed <laughs> in this conversation, undoubtedly.
0: How about if I let you in on where we're headed with it? Yeah, please. <laughs> it's a conversation we're going to have about the Fourth Commandment, where it says, remember the Sabbath day. Well we tend to read that statement as remember to not forget to practice one day a week in the future. Remember that way. Yep. Yep. And the way it's written it's really referring back to the original Sabbath day, the the first thing. So in a similar way, when I asked you, do you remember my birthday, you could have gone to the yearly celebration of that day, but I was really asking the question about the original.
1: So that's interesting. That's a great way to set that up. If I continue on in a guest role, we can talk about remuneration.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks for letting me talk to you about my birthday and thanks for being a guest on the podcast. All right. Thanks bud. Yep. Later. So if I had the power to command someone to remember my birthday, that uh, first of all would be a little weird and just about as awkward as we just heard in that conversation, but it could also be understood a couple of different ways. So someone might think that all I care about is the regular yearly reminder of my birthday every year. When I was in high school, (laughs) I was known for throwing parties that no one showed up for. It was kind of a joke in my family. So a statement like remember my birthday could just be a ploy that I use to get people to show up to my parties. Or such a command could refer back to the original event. February twenty fifth, 1969. In that case, my ultimate goal would be to get people to remember the importance of the day everything changed for me. It was on that day that I made a very unique transition. Well, unique for me. Everybody makes the same transition. I left the womb never to return. And that's important, because although that time in the womb was critical. It was foundational for my development. I was really created to live in the post-womb environment. Now let's transition our focus away from my birthday. That's enough, right? to the fourth commandment. Interestingly, this is a command to remember a day. Let me just read the commandment first, so we're all starting at the same place. This from Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So breaking away from the text, there are two different Hebrew words used in this fourth commandment, that we're going to spend some time talking about in an attempt to bring some clarity to what this commandment is actually saying. First, when it says, remember the Sabbath day, Sabbath is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word Shabbat. In other words, we didn't try and translate the meaning of that word. We just brought the sound that that word is in the Hebrew language And we recreated that same sound in English. Shabbat turned into Sabbath. You can hear that transition there. So what does Shabbat mean? Because we may assume that it just means to rest, but that's not the nuanced meaning that the word has in the Hebrew. Shabbat in Hebrew simply means cessation or stop or end. The Hebrew Shabbat is a noun in this command. It's not a verb. It can be used as a verb, but in English, it would be the difference between the word cessation, noun, and to cease, verb. So given the nuance of the Hebrew word, a more literal translation would be remember the day of the cessation or remember the day of the end. And noticing a little bit more about the way Sabbath is used in these verses, in verses 8 and 11, the first verse and the last verse in this commandment, Sabbath has the definite article attached to it. So in those two verses, 8 and 11, it's talking about the Sabbath with the article in front. But in verse 10, the article is missing. So probably best to translate that as a Sabbath. The command seems to distinguish between the Sabbath, verses 8 and 11, and a Sabbath, verse 10. And I mention that because I think the text is making a distinction here, but some English translations, specifically the King James Version and the New King James Version, they say the Sabbath in verse 10. And I think adding the article there in verse 10, it hides a difference in the text that the text, I believe, is trying to make, and it assumes something that isn't really present. All the other English translations leave it as a Sabbath in verse 10, and I think that's the right way to translate it. So the command here in Exodus chapter 20 begins, remember the day of the cessation. To emphasize the importance of this day and maybe the originality of that particular day, I might bring distinction to it by saying something like, remember the day of the great cessation, meaning that only really happened once. There was one time when the cessation happened, and it kind of begs the question, well, what's that talking about? Because the text says to keep it holy. We don't make it holy in anything that we do, we just keep something holy that's already been made holy. That's the thrust of the text. And just like my birthday, I think we've assumed that God is talking about the weekly reminder of a day that happened long ago. But the text really answers the question for us because verse 11 clearly defines what the Sabbath day is? Remember, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. That's a different word for rest. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, the day of the ceasing, and made it holy. The Sabbath day that's introduced to us in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day? and keep it holy, that is talking specifically about the Sabbath day that God made holy. It's talking about the first day, the day that he stopped, the day of the great cessation. And that just begs the question, why would that particular day back in Genesis be referred to as the day of the cessation? It's because God stopped a certain type of work on that day. He stopped the creative activity of the first six days. It was in those days, the first six, that he gave function and order to the universe. And at the end of the sixth day, it says that everything was very good. And that's just ancient speak for everything is in its God given place to be, and it's doing its God given thing to do. At the end of the sixth day, That type of work, putting things in places and giving them something to do, that's complete. And that's what God stops. He ceases from his creative work of giving order and function to the creation. And because it's very good, there is no need to ever go back and do that type of work again. God doesn't need to go back into the first six days. And we don't either. If he stops, (laughs) we should stop as well. His ceasing should just be clear indication to the rest of humanity that because he's not going back into the first six days of work, we shouldn't try and go back into that type of work either. That work is done. That's why it's called the day of the cessation. It happened once and it doesn't need to happen again. If we go back into Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the seventh day of creation only describes God as ceasing all the work which he had done. It's often translated that God rested on the seventh day because he rested from all his work which he had created and made. The Hebrew behind that is God ceased on the seventh day because in it he ceased from all the work which he had created and made. The Genesis account really just says that he stopped on the seventh day. That's really the emphasis of the text, to stop. And I think the Living Bible does a great job with these verses. Let me just read it to you here. This is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Now at last, the heavens and earth were successfully completed, With all that they contained. So on the seventh day, having finished his task, God ceased from this work which he had been doing. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he ceased from his work of creation. And I think that paraphrase of the Living Bible does a great job of bringing out a nuance that I think some of our translations gloss over or misdirect us. In Genesis chapter 2, when it says God rested on the seventh day, that brings a connotation to mind from our culture and our time that doesn't communicate what God was actually doing. He was ceasing. He was stopping a certain type of work. And from the ancient Near Eastern context, we also find out that he began a different type of work on the seventh day. And that, I believe, is the important distinction that the text is really trying to make. So the Hebrew word Shabbat it shows up twice as a verb in the Genesis text. It shows up in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 and 11 as a noun, talking about the day of cessation. But in the fourth commandment, there is another Hebrew word. It mentions a verb, rested. For in six days God made and rested on the seventh day. The Hebrew word there is not Shabbat. It's not talking about the ceasing of one type of work. That word is nuah. It's another common Hebrew word that's often translated as rest. And the idea that this word brings is the sense of entering a position of stability. So the idea is, because God ceased one type of work, Shabbat, he was then able to enter a position of stability, nua. But this stability isn't necessarily talking about the lack of activity. And it's here where I'm going to break into some work of John Walton. If you remember, John is the scholar, the Old Testament scholar from Wheaton, that graciously helped me with some theological edits of my book, Rethinking Rest. And it's in his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, where he does a really good job of bringing out some of the distinctions between these two words when they're used in the biblical text, the word Shabbat and Nuah. So reading from Walton's work, he says, It is important to look at the terminology used by the author. He's talking about the biblical text. The Hebrew verb Shabbat, used in Genesis 2-2, from which our term Sabbath is derived, has the basic meaning of ceasing. If you want to cross-reference, he mentions Joshua 5.12 and Job 32.1. Back to Walton. He says, Semantically, it refers to the completion of certain activity with which one had been occupied. This cessation leads into a new state, which is described by another set of words, the verb nua, and its associated noun, menua. The verb involves entering a position of safety, security, or stability, and the noun refers to the place where that is found. The verb, Shabbat, describes a transition into the activity or inactivity of nuah. And he says that we as readers know that when God ceases, Shabbat's on the seventh day in Genesis 2, that he also is transitioning into the condition of stability, nuah, because that's the terminology used in Exodus 20, verse 11. The only other occurrence of the verb Shabbat with God as the subject is in Exodus 31, verse 17. He says, the most important verses to draw all of this information together are found in Psalm 132, verses 7 and 8, and then again in verses 13 and 14. Let me just read that for you now. From Psalm 132, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might for the lord has chosen zion he has desired it for his dwelling this is my resting place forever and ever here i will sit enthroned for i have desired it so about that psalm walton says this here the dwelling place of god translates a term that describes the tabernacle and temple and this is where his footstool the ark Is located. This also shows that the text is referring to his dwelling place as his throne room and the place of his rule because of the footstool. In verse 8, the footstool is paralleled by the ark, and the dwelling place, the temple, is paralleled with resting place, Manua. And Walton says this demonstrates that the temple is the place where he rests. In verse 13, the text again refers to his dwelling in Zion, thus referring to the temple. Then, verse 14 uses resting place, manua, again, identifying it as the place where he is enthroned. Thus, the psalm pulls together the ideas of divine rest, temple, and enthronement. God's ceasing, Shabbat on the seventh day in Genesis 2, verse 2, leads to his rest, his nuah, which is associated with the seventh day in Exodus 20, verse 11. His rest is located in his resting place, his Manua. and Psalm 132 identifies it as the temple from which he rules. So after creation, God takes up his rest and rules from his residence. And Walton says this is not new theology for the ancient world. It is what all peoples understood about their gods and their temples. So breaking away from Walton, what is the distinction that I'm trying to bring into this episode, the takeaway that you could have when we're all done? When the commandment begins, remember the Sabbath day, We've been taught to read that as remember the weekly day of rest that is described in verses 9 and 10, the practice of not working one day a week. We've assumed that remember is a warning looking forward. Don't forget to stop working one day a week. Be sure to remember the weekly Sabbath. But the weekly Sabbath is a Sabbath. It's a ceasing. And that happens weekly so that the Israelites would remember the ceasing, the day of the great cessation back in Genesis. So let me try and tie some concepts together. On the sixth day, God ceased. It was the cessation from giving function and order to the creation. When God ceased, it allowed him to settle into a new stable routine, one different from the first six days. And in the worldview of the ancient Near East, this suggests that God is beginning his rule over that creation that he just organized. That's what his rest is. It's his rule. And he doesn't just settle in for one day. That's something we've imported into the text. His restful rule began on the seventh day, and that's where God remains to this day. He is still resting using the organization and structure that he set up in the first six days. How do we know that? It's because that evening and morning motif that is used to end Each of the first six days in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, that evening and morning motif is missing from day 7. And that doesn't mean that literally day 7 never ended, but I like to say that literarily day 7 never ended. And what does that even mean? That just means that whatever activity that God entered into on the seventh day, from a theological standpoint, that activity never ended. There's no evening and morning for day seven. And if we're correctly understanding his activity that he entered into on day seven, his rest is his rightful rule of the cosmos, of the creation, then that just makes total sense. God stopped creating at the end of day six. He ceased that activity and he quickly began his restful rule of the creation that he had just made. He entered into his rest on day seven, and he remains there to this day. And that is the same rest that he invites humanity into in the next story in Genesis. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The word for put there is the Hebrew nuah. So you could say that God rested Adam in the garden. And if rest means complete inactivity, why does it describe God resting Adam in the garden? To cultivate and keep it. He is placing humanity in a position of stability to do the work that humanity was created to do. To cultivate and keep under the organization and structure that God has given the creation in the first six days. So humanity placed in the garden was to cultivate and keep that space using the structure and order that God had established in those first six days. And as long as Adam and Eve followed God's order, their work would be stable and predictable. They would be at rest. Well, how'd that go? (laughs) That that really only lasted a short while. We don't know how long because the text doesn't really say. But for a while, Adam and Eve were at rest with God in the garden. They were in their place. They were doing their thing under God's restful rule. But as the story indicates, Adam and Eve questioned the order that God established. They decided they could have done a better job of giving function and order to the creation. And they did a power grab. They went after and got some ordering wisdom that they weren't supposed to have. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they crossed over the great cessation, and they ventured back into the work of the first six days of creation. But that work is done. God's already done that work. And humanity's rest is only found within that structure that God created. So, what was the result of Genesis 2 and 3? If you remember the story, Adam and Eve were removed from God's structure, from the Garden of Eden, and they forfeited their own rest in the process. Outside the garden, they still did the same type of work, but it was no longer restful. That's the whole message of the story, and it's because they had to create their own functional order outside the garden. And they never figured it out. And humanity hasn't figured it out since. It's the same temptation we have today. We are tempted to trust first and foremost in our own way of doing things instead of trusting the structure and the order that God has already completed. We too, as members of humanity, want to venture back into the first six days of creation to see if we can't do a better job. But the message of the Bible is that that work is done. It has ceased. God ceased from all of that. And he's not crossing back over into the work of the first six days. His stability, his new his rest, is built on the foundation of the work done in the first six days. And his rest is stable. And it's that rest that he's inviting humanity to experience. And here's the kicker. When we don't trust God's structure, when we think we can organize this whole thing under a different set of rules, we are not remembering the day of the great cessation. The text in Genesis says God made that day holy, the day of the great cessation. And the commandment says that we are to remember that original day to keep it holy. And one of the ways that God gave the ancient Israelites to remember that original day was a weekly observance. But the great cessation is an ongoing rest. The rest of the great cessation is a rest that's available every day. And when we as humanity try and venture back into the first six days, we ruin the holiness of the original ceasing. We venture back into those first six days. And we try and give the creation a whole new set of rules. But that work, it's done. It is still very good. I mentioned this in my book, Rethinking Rest, and I'm going to read a similar idea out of Walton's Lost World of Genesis 1. He says, sometimes people have raised the question, what did God do on the eighth day? In the view presented here, and I would add in today's session on the podcast, he says, on the eighth day, And on every day since then, he, God, is in the control room from where he runs the cosmos that he set up. This is the ongoing work of creation. And I would add, it's the ongoing work of God's seventh-day rule. That organization and structure is foundational to the restful work we are called to now, And it's just crazy to think that we could cross back over that line drawn in the sand, back over into the first six days of creative work and somehow improve upon something that God has already finished and has already decreed it is very good. Let's conclude this episode uh, going back to my birthday illustration from earlier in the podcast. It really is all about my birthday. (laughs) There's really only one person left that truly remembers the day of my birth, and it's my mom. And as it turns out, even she doesn't remember much of it. I'm sitting here with my mother. And I just had one question for you. Is this a good time?
2: Yes, it is.
0: Okay. Here's my question. And it's very specifically worded on purpose.
2: Oh, dear goodness.
0: Are you going to remember my birthday this year?
2: Yes. Definitely. Yeah? Yes.
0: How are you going to do that?
2: I'm going to remember the pain. Oh. The Long hours of pain. Yes. The part where I had to be by myself. No family members could come.
0: Yeah. Dad wasn't allowed in there. No.
2: Vomiting. I remember vomiting. (laughs) That's
0: that's good. So there's not too many people left that can remember the day of my birth. Right. Yeah.
2: I'm about the only one.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you another related question. At any time... After the birth, did I ask to be put back into your womb?
2: You couldn't talk, Oh,
0: Was there any time that you felt like I should go back into the womb after I was born?
2: That never entered my mind.
0: It wasn't even an option.
2: It's not a choice.
0: Okay. What
2: in the world made you think of, why would you want to?
0: I, I didn't say that I... Did you like
2: it in there?
0: Well, it was... I had womb service. Oh, <laughs> That's a Robin that's a, Williams joke.
2: That's a terrible joke.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> she, oh, gosh. No, once you were out, you were on your way. Yeah, it's kind of... not looking back. You don't look back. That's where you've been.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's good.
2: Wow!
0: Anything else about the day of my birth? He had a big head. I had. Well, not much has changed, I guess.
2: <laughs> Actually, it has
0: Yeah. It was 947? I think so. Dad showed up after the fact.
2: He had to go check in at school. Yeah. I don't know why he couldn't have called. Why couldn't he have called? I don't know. He missed it.
0: Uh, did Jody get to see me the first day I was born?
2: I'm sure she did. I'm well, sure. I don't remember if I'm Dad. Sh- well, I barely remember. I yeah. don't remember. Okay. It wasn't flooded with guests. Right. It reminds me of a big house that echoed and not a lot of activity.
0: You're remembering my birthday, the actual day.
2: The actual day.
0: And you'll remember it.
2: I don't remember yours like I do Jody's. I had to take a walk to get her. My water didn't break with either one of you kids. I don't know what the deal was. It's so funny when the water breaks and gets your shoes all wet. Yeah. Didn't have that happen.
0: I wasn't ready to come out.
2: Well, I was ready to have you out.
0: Well, okay then.
2: I guess I'm in charge. That's
0: fair. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much to say about it.
2: Somebody's gotta be in charge.
0: That's right. (laughs) All right, thank you. So thanks to my mom. That was a big part of her birthday gift to me this year, the chance to talk to her. And uh, it turns out that once I came out of the womb, and this is the case I suspect for you as well, once we get out of the womb, there's really no reason to go back into the work that was done during those nine months at the beginning. That work is done. It is finished. And the day of our birth, is a marking day that brings us into a new existence. It brings us into the place where the foundation of the first nine months becomes fully realized and we're able to do what we were meant to do in the place that we were meant to do it. So I had some fun with this. If I was to compose a birthday commandment parallel to the biblical command about the Sabbath, it might sound like this. Remember your birthday to mark it as unique. For 364 days each year, you will go about the usual business of life. But every year on February 25th, it's a birthday celebration of you. On that day, you shall eat lemon jello cake and receive well wishes from both friends and strangers through the singing of a short song. Your social media accounts shall explode. because. It took several months in 1968 and early 1969 for you to get ready to join your mother and father outside of the womb. Then you were born, and therefore we set aside February 25th, 1969 as a unique day to be set apart. That is my birthday commandment. And with all of that nonsense said, it was the original seventh day of creation that God made holy. And the commandment we find in Exodus chapter 20 is an instruction to keep it holy, to keep that original day holy. And just to close, acknowledging God's order brings a security and a stability. That allows humanity to relax. But more importantly, it allows life to find a God-given routine that is truly restful. It's under God's rule that we can go about our lives planting and harvesting, buying and selling, raising our families, and serving our God. Knowing that we don't ever need to revisit the first six days. We just need to exist in the seventh day of God's restful rule.